I met this when I was in Howarth yesterday. I was like sat lunch outside in the street, and this German lady was like, "Can I sit next to you?" And I was like, "Oh, of course." And then she was like, "Are you here for the Brontes?" And I was like, <laughs> "And she was like, oh, is your favorite?" And I was like. I, I can't really answer that right now because I'm going through a lot about it and I, I just can't really tell you. And she was like, Emily is my favorite. And she whipped out this poem that she carried close to her chest everywhere. Um, and then she invited <gasps> me to stay with her in a small her small town in Germany. So I just- That's amazing. I feel like Monte fans are just great. And Austin fans um, are Do you know what poem it was? I can't remember. Oh crap. <laughs> I should have checked. Oh God. I was like blown away by the fact that she carried it close to her heart. Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. This is the only podcast that will not shut up about Emily Bronte. I'm your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. True story. And this week... We have another Emily 200 episode, but we're going to talk about a few other things as well. So, you know, we'll have a little variety in there, won't we? A little bit of variety. The reason that we've got other stuff in there, guys, is because this week we're talking to a comic book person, my good friend, Isabel Greenberg. But before we get stuck into this interview, Lauren, comics. Comics are a thing, right? We are going to make this about Emily Bronte, Mm -hmm. but first, Mm -hmm. comics are a thing that we do true story we do them and i think we're on the same page when i say this and this doesn't happen very often does it not not too often we both like pizza (laughs) yeah we do we do both really like pizza (laughs) um not a lot of good like adaptations like of classics out there comic wise am i right oh no they're like they're all dreadful (laughs) that's so bad (laughs) Like, I'm always scared at Christmas and on my birthday that someone is going to gift me some, like, shitty Jane Austen comic. <laughs> like, <laughs> as a book is good, yet a voucher mm-hmm. would be lovely. Oh, now I know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm just going to unload all of my classics uh, comics on you. Please, I mean, just don't like that. Is not I am not your demographic. I mean, I am on paper the exact right. demographic for someone who should love comics and classic adaptations. But like, I well, what I is it? What's the problem? What's my issue with it? Yeah, um, what's your issue with it? I can tell you mine. Yeah, well, you maybe you should go first. Okay. Well, I think a lot of times it's not coming from like a genuine place. Like Marvel a few years ago, they decided to do, you know, Jane Austen adaptations. And I think it was like this initiative of let's get girls into comics. What are they like? Jane Austen. And it wasn't really fixing sort of the underlying issues with women in comics, right? Of like, maybe you guys should hire more women in comics. I don't know. Yeah. Like get people in the back end. Yeah, instead of like, you know, focus grouping and like sitting around and talking about what you think women might like, why don't you hire some women and they can, you know, generate some ideas for you. So I think, first of all, it wasn't coming from like a super genuine place. And then on top of it, you have a lot of comics people maybe editing those comics. And 
not people who are coming from a place of really loving the classics or loving Jane Austen or really like mm-hmm. thinking about how to like adapt that in a new and interesting way. Because the thing about Janeites and whatever us Bronte people call ourselves is like we've seen every adaptation. Yeah. And so you have to bring something new to the table. Yes, you have to bring something new and interesting. And you're also dealing with like a subset of people who just like they're they're like comic nerds. Actually, they're like, well, wait, no, actually, mm-hmm. this happens or this character says this or this character is like this and shouldn't be drawn this way. So I think you just you need sort of an expert in there because yeah, otherwise it knows just... their way around historical clothing. I'm sorry. I don't yes. the reenactor in me, but I find it really difficult to read something when I look at a dress and I'm like that's Victorian mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're reading right. Jane Austen or like the the hair's wrong I don't know like just a bit of research I've listened to panels on people who do historical um non-fiction graphic novels and they were like well as long as the facts are right you can kind of it doesn't really matter about clothing and stuff and I wholeheartedly disagree wholeheartedly yeah. disagree with that because it really happened right and yeah I mean I'm no, I don't mean like Pride and Prejudice didn't really happen well it was a time right. it's set in a time and we know what that time looks like from fashion plates and from reproduction it's lazy existing. yeah it is it's shorthand and I think like it's that comes back into that thing that you were saying about caring about something right and having the right team yeah I feel like the right team is not really often put together for these books um it's hard too. like it, it's hard in comics like you've got a crazy production schedule like I understand that you know as well of like it's hard to put together the right team but you wouldn't for that sort of project other, you wouldn't buy any other graphic novel which is just like two heads in panels just talking at each other either because that's right. that's a real bugbear of mine is um just how flat all of these adaptations are sometimes so just like yeah. you'll have and this isn't just like Austin, this this is like adaptations of Shakespeare of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doyle. I mean, he gets away, away with it a bit more because it's like action, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, oh, these two people are having a conversation. So they should be standing still and having a conversation in a room. And yeah, maybe that's what happens in the book. But this is visual, right? So I want to see it. I want people to move around the room. I want people to be outside, take them for a walk, send them horseback riding put them make the landscape really beautiful but just don't give me a flat color background for five pages and copy and paste the text from the novel in there I've read the book right well they yeah give me something new exactly they do this so they can have a text dump and yeah um, yeah, just like you said we've read the book like we don't need that we need something new (laughs) yeah and then the other thing does I don't Lauren, do you, if I say to you that like the kind of comics, well, you know that I really like indie comics. I like Mm -hmm. contemporary comics, not so much about like the 80s, 90s airbrush look. Um, I don't really like things that super twee or that like overtly are trying to appeal to women. Mm -hmm. I think you can really tell when something's being marketed towards a woman. And something that Marvel did for their Pride and Prejudice adaptation is they made the cover look like a woman's magazine yeah so it had like these little splashes on it like top 10 tips for going to a ball and 
Like right. you'll never believe who Lizzie's in love with, stuff like that. And it's like, you know, Pride and Prejudice is genderless, right? Anyone can read this book, so you don't have to just market it to women. Like, right. I don't, like, yeah, the majority of our audience is women. We're two, yeah. two women, or so. I just why you don't have to feed into that. You don't have to. You don't have to yeah. perpetuate that. And I just felt like Marvel were really just saying, "Hey, this book's for girls, and it's yeah. pink, and it's about fashion, and it's Jane Austen. She never, she never describes a bonnet. Like, give me one description well, of what the fuck someone is wearing. So, why are you making it like a fashion magazine? Like, what are you doing? And I have to say this about the cover, like, I would actually be interest. I might be a little bit interested in that." if it was Pride and Prejudice all like told as a magazine, as a women's magazine, like mm-hmm. if you're going to take that idea, like go ahead and run with it. Because again, I've read the book. I don't actually need just like a text dump on comic pages. I haven't read it as a women's magazine. That could be interesting. Yeah. Oh man, maybe we should do that. Maybe we could have some makeup t- tips from like Lydia Bennett or Kitty. just like makeup would be Kitty. Lydia would be the sex column. Caroline Bingley would be um, high fashion. Who wore it best? And it would just be like, no, 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 me. Um, Right. Mary Bennett can give you some world news. Um, Charlotte Lucas can give you like the feminist lifestyle column. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, I'll actually read that. Okay, that's interesting. Lady Catherine de Bourgh's giving you that like celebrity gossip bit where it's like, overheard things overheard and she's just like Mm -hmm. ragging on everyone see now now we have a comic speaking of people who make good comics um isabel greenberg is who we interviewed for this week and isabel is an award-winning british comic artist and illustrator whose books include a series of world history books for children which were written by her sister Imogen and illustrated by her. Um, Graphic novels, which include the uh, Encyclopedia for Early Earth, the 100 Nights of Hero, and a ton of self-published books, including this really good one called Dreadful Wind and Rain, which is based on an old folk song. And if you want to hear a version of the folk song, then I'd recommend listening to Rachel Dad's Two Sisters, which is one of my favorite songs and not relevant to anything. I'm sorry for sharing oh. that. Um, the reason that we <laughs> interviewed Isabel for the show is because she is working on a graphic novel about the childhood and juvenilia of the Brontes and it's called Glass Town. So that's absolutely why she's here this week. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so now I have to ask you, are you team Bronte or are you team Austin? I'm Team Bronte. I'm so I'm of course she is. I'm so deep Team Bronte. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. Izzy's, all of Izzy's comics are about like women killing people. <laughs> so I feel like but I'm, if you know... I'm trying to be more complex now. <laughs> Hopefully. Now, what was like your entry into Team Bronte? Uh, what was my entry? I mean, I think Jane Eyre was my first Bronte. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Wuthering Heights and I didn't actually read any Anne until um, 18 months ago um, oh but wow now I love- okay so like I was a recent Anne reader but 
I think mm-hmm. I'd like seen some TV adaptations of Anne that hadn't been very good. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, but I'm just so into the drama. And then I, you know, now I like just everything apart from I found Charlotte's later novels a little bit tough to get into, you know. Some problems with Villette, maybe? Oh, no, I like Villette, Shirley. Okay, really, Shirley. Shirley, very tough. Hard going. Okay. Shirley, so you like Villette. How how tough going is Shirley? Because that is making me very nervous to read it because I nearly died reading Villette. I, Villette felt like my Everest. I actually think you might like Shirley more than Villette. Okay, interesting. To be honest, but I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find out. We will find honestly. out. Honestly. <laughs> we will just see how that goes. I like Tennant. That's been my favorite. Tennant is your favorite? Yeah, so yeah. far. Yeah, do and you I have a favorite Izzy or no? Tennant is my favorite Anne. Rotherwing mm-hmm. Heights is my favorite Emily. Sure. <laughs> and Jane is my favorite Charlotte. <laughs> I don't know. I can't it's I don't have to say a favorite because I'm, I feel very. I think, I think I would have been able to say a favorite last week, but but since like going to the parsonage again, I feel like I think I'm having a bit of a problem where I feel like I know them and that they're my friends but they're not my Mm -hmm. friends at all (laughs) and I'm projecting on them in a big way and that's making it very hard for me to make a rational decision about which my favorite is but I'd say probably like Jane Eyre is the one that I reread most Mm -hmm. but I think Wuthering Heights I like Wuthering Heights because every time I read it I find something like weird that I haven't seen before that makes me laugh it's just so like (laughs) just such a weird over-the-top book and i do i really enjoy that Uh, that's what everyone says like you just can keep reading it over and over again and discover something new and you can read it at different points in your life and just feel completely differently about it it's just a fascinating book you you need to read it hannah oh yeah yeah you need to i will i want to read it now now that i read oh no carry on no you go you're uh, everyone's heard me talk about wuthering heights (laughs) I was say, I think like Jane Eyre, what I like about Jane Eyre is that I feel like it really covers all the, the spectrum of like weird men. Like I just feel like everyone has met St. John mm. Rivers. Yeah. Oh, and, he's, yeah, he's so gross. And no one has really met a Rochester because it's not like, like no one is, you know, I don't know, like he, he, had such great chat but also he had um, a wife in the attic and i i i disagree with that statement i think everyone has met a rochester rochester is the um the secret abuser sinjin rivers is obviously a monster and he's very like open about it Mm -hmm. but rochester is like we, you, the, she's locked in the attic, but you don't like, you don't get it. Like she's really crazy. He's like the t- the guy who yeah. like has only dated crazy women, and the reason he's single is because every bitch he's dated is crazy. Not he's yeah. the problem. And he's like, I've been and, like, so by women. Like, yeah, women I don't know. So I just I don't really care bad. for Rochester. <laughs> You're not a Rochester. Apologist. And I don't, I don't, I'm not. And I also don't think he's like so different to so many men in history yeah that's one of the scary things especially with um the last episode we recorded about the yellow wallpaper right and just thinking about actually how common that was Mm -hmm. so that's the sad and scary thing about rochester is that i actually think he's too realistic maybe fair enough he does have really he does have really good chat and i've always that's what i find (laughs) 
He does. It's true. And yeah, definitely like better chat people. than Darcy. Yeah, oh, zero God, chat. Yeah. <laughs> John Thorpe, yeah. great chat. <laughs> I feel so, like after after like North and South, I do think the one that you really want is like if you had to pick, you, you do you do want Thornton. Yeah. 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 He's the absolute. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now what um our test at all. Oh, no. No, I know. We're just here like, which guy would I date? <laughs> it's always Wentworth or Thornton. I think it's Thornton over Wentworth for yeah. me, which is like, I, I definitely love Persuasion more than I love North and South, but I love Thornton more than I love Wentworth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Now, um, <laughs> what prompted you to do the book on the Brontes? So what has what got me kind of fired up to do it is I read about their juvenilia and I didn't know I really didn't know anything about it and I I heard that they had written this amazing like weird intricate imaginary world as children and I think that I'd always loved the Brontes but when I discovered that that kind of got inside my head I guess because like my previous two graphic novels are set in an imaginary world and mm-hmm. I like I like the idea of like people building worlds that kind of suck them in and stuff. And I don't think I ever have had any problems like differentiating between the reality of my own imaginary fiction. However, when I was like 10 or 11, I did definitely get so into like books or like that I would get quite devastated that I couldn't exist in that world. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> bad trash fantasy stuff like I would be like oh my god the re- real world pales into insignificance compared to the world of you know like total you know, t- yeah I, I didn't want to say it but yeah I'm coming yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Tamara Pierce the writer <laughs> like Izzy and I both have read like yeah. a lot of her books okay. magic lots of magic lots, gotcha lots yeah Lots of snogging. When I read that they, like, all the stuff about how they found it difficult to kind of, like, when you read their diaries and they're, like, mentioning kind of, like, making cakes and sugar and peeling potatoes alongside the stuff that happened in their imaginary world. Like, I loved that kind of, the weirdness of how you could get so, you know, you could, if you could invent something so amazing that reality seemed just boring and dry and shit, that would be... Amazing, but that's I think what made me want to write about their juvenilia. I think, but then when I came up with the idea first, I was like, oh, oh, I'll just like use the kind of bare bones of their world, and I'll put my own stories into it, and I'll play around. It's not going to be like too biographical. But then, like the more biographies I read, and like the more stuff I found out, like it's definitely gone a lot more. It's gone more biographical than I had initially anticipated it would. I think. Mm-hmm. And have you, so you've been reading through the juvenilia, I assume? Yeah, it's quite difficult to read. So I've yes. been kind of doing mm-hmm. is like reading bits of it and then reading like essays and academic stuff about it, which I found is a much easier yeah. way to get it. Because when I like initially tried to read it, I sat down and kind of expected it to go a bit like a novel. Right. Yeah. And it's completely confusing and weird. Um, and like all the characters like change names and none of their motives yeah. like necessarily makes sense. But I kind of And it, it feels like you're reading Juvenalia. Like I do know that when we recorded our ju- Juvenalia episode about the Bronzes and about Austin, it was like 
I definitely felt bad that I didn't appreciate it. And it mm-hmm. made me feel like maybe I wasn't as smart as I thought I was because I was like, oh, people say it's really great and I'm reading it and I'm not super fussed. Well, it's like, it's not, it's interesting. It's, it's like interesting. interesting to see like the seeds of ideas and just, you know, and yeah, yeah, what they're interested in. But as like but a I, read. Yeah, they're, they're not developed writers yet. Yeah. So yeah, I think like expectations for the juvenilia are really high. And then you go in and you're like, oh, I'm reading the work of like a 16 year old girl. And it's, yeah. yeah. It's like reading, like if you read weird fan fiction or something, it's kind of like that slightly <laughs> like hysterical, like that everything is going in feel but like yeah. I sort of like that yeah. and yeah I feel but it, I think what makes them interesting is like the context and like knowing who they became and like why mm-hmm. like why they wrote it and what came after and so I've definitely found it easier to read the juvenilia like once I've read around the subject for sure um, um, is there any story in the juvenilia that you've particularly liked or like you know you've brought over into the graphic novel yeah, so the, I'm like at the moment I'm like really interested in this character called Quashia Quamina. Mm-hmm. So I was like when I first the when I first read the Juvenalia, I was like a bit I was like I don't know how I'm going to deal with this because there's a lot of like really like rampant colonialism. Sorry, colonialism, yeah, yeah. colonialism, and they just you know kind of the it sort of all begins with you know, the soldiers like landing in Africa and basically like suppressing the indigenous people who they've also invented. Like, so they've invented an indigenous yeah. population yeah. for their own invented English troops to like massacre and kind of take over. So they were like mm-hmm. proper little colonists. And I was like, oh, this is like so problematic. And like, how sad, because I want them to be so, you know, I didn't want them to be like that, but they were because they were like children and that's what I guess was exciting to them. But then I read on about this character called Quashia Quamina, who was like the son of the leader of, the son of the king of the Ashantis, who were their um, indigenous population, who they slaughtered during the Ashanti Wars. And he um, he got killed. And Wellington adopted this little boy, um, Quashia Quamina, and brought him up with his own sons, Arthur and Charles. Arthur, who then became Zamorna. And like Zamorna and Quashia hated each other. So this is like... Mm-hmm such a like pre Heathcliff Heathcliff um yeah I, yeah. I love that and anyway eventually he ran away and basically staged a whole load of slave revolts and like rose up against um Zamorna and teamed up with Northangerland and I, I love that I mean unfortunately he lost because in the juvenilia like the white English people do win right um but I loved that they had told I, I like that that story was there. And I found it really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that one is a good one. Uh, Zamorna. I, there's a lot about Zamorna in the juvenilia. It's such a problem because yeah. he's like, he, he, he's meant to be like the pre-Rochester. So you're like, amazing. Like, you know, he's going to be a bit dark, but there's going to be some great chat. But he doesn't seem to like, he's just horrible. And he has this heart yeah, awful women. And what's weird about it is you're like, Charlotte fancied him so much. But why? Oh, yeah. Because he's awful. Yeah. Charlotte's got one. an interesting taste in men. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll just, we'll just leave it there. Villette. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, we're 
to your pool or whatever. He's the worst. I mean, I I liked him, and then I, I was do like, not. and then I was like, hang on, hang him. on, <laughs> what is happening? So like, this is it's not good that, yeah. And I kept like in because obviously my copy, I've got all of my notes written down, and I've just got, is he abusing this woman? And then messaging Lauren, is is M Paul abusive? And Lauren just being like, yes, Hannah. <laughs> He is. He's just bad. He's just. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Horrible. Horrible little man. Yeah. Are you like mostly focusing on the juvenilia for the graphic novel? Or are you kind of like, are you going into adulthood as well? So like the way I'm framing it is that it's kind of the whole. So the, I, the book is sort of framed around these series of conversations between Charlotte and Charles Townsend, who mm-hmm. was obviously one of the characters in the juvenilia. Um, who she wrote under the persona of most. And he's like kind of this quite sarcastic, like basically he was a gossip columnist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I like the character of him. So they have these conversations in which they talk about like Glastown in its heyday, because the sort of time period which they're talking in is after everyone has, they've all died apart from Charlotte. Cause I thought that must've been such a strange, like even though Charlotte, maybe the more I read about Charlotte, the less, in a way, the less likable she is, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. At the same time, yeah. I do also think there is this like poignant thing about like her. Like there must have been this. It must have been so strange to have been one of many for so long, and then suddenly just like be the last one. Right. And right. so they look back together on this on this world that is crumbling because there's nobody to sustain it apart from her. Um. So that's kind of how the book is framed and it jumps back and forwards like between like bits that happen in Glastown and then kind of bits of biography of their lives. But it's not, there's massive swathes that I'm just going to miss out entirely. Like she's not, I'm not, they're not going to Brussels in my book. That's too much. Right. Um, It sounds amazing. Yeah, I really, really like the structure of this. Yeah. I hope so because it's like, I like, it's, I don't know if you've had the same, if you've been through the same Charlotte disappointment that I've been through recently, where like you just read too much about her and then you're like, oh, Charlotte, why? Yeah. It's so funny because I've come to Charlotte through Lauren telling me that Charlotte is like not super nice. (laughs) So I'm just so done with Charlotte. Um, I like that about her though. I like how complicated Charlotte is. Like there's been... I just think she's I don't want to say I don't don't want to say that she's misunderstood but I do think that she gets in her own way a lot I mean I think the Thackeray story really illustrates it like where she you know she dedicated like she had good intentions of like dedicating that that book to Thackeray (laughs) I think yeah it's funny and then just like it's a shit storm like blows up in her face I think it's a lot of that like you know there's been a lot of chat lately about how much people dislike Charlotte over um you know, what she did to blocking, you know, future print printings of Tenet and editing Wuthering Heights and, you know, the poetry as well. Um, she has good intentions in her heart. She thinks she's doing the right thing, but, you know, she's just not. And she also isn't anticipating them becoming like. Also, she was a boss figures. and she got stuff done. Yeah, she got but stuff in done. In a time when women were not allowed to get stuff done and she was just out there like killing it. So, yeah, she didn't like she didn't want them to be she was trying to protect their memory. And I think like, Anne wouldn't have wanted to be remembered. Like, I think she maybe thought she was doing the right thing when she was like, no, 
and is not a you know like wild crazy person she was a Mm -hmm. good saintly christian or whatever and obviously she ended up painting this like really unfortunate like simplified picture and it's a bit difficult because actually like Anne comes across as quite likable maybe a bit boring but likable in her picture and Emily comes across this like hilarious eccentric who everyone likes an eccentric and that kind of just leaves her as like this sort of bossy controlling yeah Yeah. right and also bossy is a word that is only used for women right you know she was bossy and but or was she bossy was she you know as you said she got shit done yeah and I also like I don't think women need to be likable. Like, that's the other thing I feel like a lot of people, you know, sort of, you know, really get at Charlotte because they're, they're just like, she's not likable enough. And I'm like, I kind of, I don't need her to be likable. I think she, she's interesting to me. Yeah. People, and she's complicated. But people do. And like, we have done it on the show. And you said so yourself about Elizabeth Gaskell. Like, people do say, oh, I want to be this this person's friend. I think we'd be friends. Yeah. You wouldn't be Charlotte Bronte's friend. I and would so, be like, interested in her, though. You like uh, we would go for coffee and then I'd be sending yeah, messages yeah. to you under the table like can you believe that Charlotte Bronte just said that yeah absolutely because I cannot I mean, yeah I think yeah she was better like over as a pen pal than in person as well like I think you might want her as your pen pal because you could like exchange like blistering letters but then right would you actually want to go for tea with her because she'd like just be like really awkward and weird and kind of yeah. Right. Yeah. That was the thing. I mean, that was the thing with Thackeray when he was exchanging letters with Kerr Bell. And he's like, Kerr Bell's amazing. And then in person, <laughs> like, oh, wait, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I do think Elizabeth Gaskell saw something in her and had like yeah. real sympathy for her, even though they didn't have sort of an easy relationship, you know, at the beginning, at least. So yeah. I do think I would feel quite sympathetic towards Charlotte, especially, especially at the end. Yeah, exactly. And that, that time that you know even though they had had a really complicated relationship as sisters and they weren't I think it's like annoying when you read like kind of things saying like oh three sisters who just who work together and they did work together obviously but also like I have a sister and we get on amazingly but when we were kids we didn't and even like you know sister it is it you it's a like relationship like you don't have it's not like a friend it's like right I think it is a really complicated thing to have sisters and especially when they were like doing the same thing and sharing beds and rooms and they probably were like in each other's faces all the time mm-hmm. um so it was never going to be this like perfect thing all the time I'm also people um, people aren't perfect are they like they are no, spiky yeah. and they have things that like set them off and I think so often when we look at like women in history or women you know writers we kind of like people have tried to flatten that out mm-hmm and like just make just make them like I don't know if like relatable is the word, but they just they don't want they don't want any of the negatives. It's like when someone passes and it's like they were the perfect person. Right. It's like no one is perfect. Like everyone has things that were wrong about that, you know, they like go out on a limb on something like mm-hmm. Anne's book and you know she thought it was the right thing and maybe like people don't agree now. But that that's still part of her story and we do these we do women a disservice when we don't address stuff like that yeah you know and it happens to jane austen as well and it happens to like just women writers they're like she was fine she was just writing yeah like yeah it's like you were saying she's complicated she doesn't have to be nice yeah yeah one of the things that i found most problematic was that like i'd read that charlotte had burnt emily and 
Anne's juvenilia. And when I asked Amy at the parsonage, she was like, well, that she said that was one like theory, but also another theory was that Emily and Anne burnt their own juvenilia because it was their like private, private special world. And right. I actually, I think that rings more true to me in a way, because I think, I, I think that is, I think, I don't think Charlotte would necessarily have shown anyone their juvenilia, but I think she probably would have been really curious to read it because like, mm-hmm. you know, they oh, had yeah. a thing on that she didn't know about. And it must've been pretty terrible for her to have lost her like writing buddy, but then see her sisters still having their own little, little thing without her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe she was cool with that. Cause you know, she was, we'll awful. never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. That's the thing, we'll never know. <laughs> Unless a small book falls out of a small book that falls out of a small book and yes. it just says, by the way, I burnt it, lol. Listen, we're still finding tiny books, guys. Hate, so you I never know that. what's going to turn I'm up. so upset. <laughs> we're I still finding them. Did you, so you went and looked at some tiny books yesterday, oh, I'm guessing. It was amazing. I, I looked upon the tiny books in the in the library and I I held in a plastic sheet mm-hmm. a page of um, the history of the year um, and I held the little piece of Napoleon's, apparently Napoleon's coffin that um, Hegere gave to her in Brussels. Oh, That's nice. Romantic. Which That's I, good. I like just did not, I did not think it was really a piece of Napoleon's coffin, but it was obviously the piece that he gave to her. So yeah, I was, it was right. really amazing and like I didn't think I would be so kind of moved by like seeing them so close, but I really was mm-hmm. definitely kind of like went away the next day, like feeling like really very emotional. I felt Yeah. It's an emotional experience. I didn't think I would be as moved either, but I think it's the atmosphere. It's like just so mm. I don't know, it just feels like intact. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and also, um, like, they've done such a wonderful job on the house. Yeah, I was really sad that Emily, that Anne's death hanky wasn't there because the last time I'd been there, I'd seen the hanky that she'd like coughed blood into when she was dying. Yeah, and she got oh, dead. yeah, and that had gone. Funny story about that one. Hanky, <laughs> so embarrassing. Last time we were there, um, so the death hanky was out, and Hannah was like. <laughs> This is a lovely pattern. You guys should like recreate this and sell it in the shop. And Amy was just like, with the blood still on it. I was like, no, because I said like the red pattern, because it's got all of like the little red dots on it. And they were like, oh, what with the blood marks? And I was like, why would that be what I'm saying? Why would I be like, let's recreate the blood splatter from the death hanky? Although now we say it out loud more. I don't think it's a bad idea. <laughs> I, it's not I like, mean, it wouldn't be the like weirdest souvenir, I, you know. It wouldn't. And I mean, they had like a little bit of a coffin. Just to go back to the coffin, if any, sure. if anyone is wooing me, mm-hmm. a bit of Nelson's coffin. Who's Get me some of that. Would you like? Get Nelson. <laughs> Nelson. No, I want the, I want the barrel. I want the barrel that they stuck him in. Okay. He got stuck in a barrel. A little flake was that Nelson? barrel. Listen, yeah. you're the Nelson expert. I oh, don't gosh. know. What if it wasn't? Was that Napoleon? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I've got to go to the Google machine. The only one who got um, uh, left on the island, right? Siri, who got put in a barrel? Oh. <laughs> you can't trust Siri. <laughs> Siri, who got put in a barrel? Okay. Give me a moment. Here's what I found on the web. Oh, 
Nothing. It doesn't help. Yeah, Never nothing. Mind. Talk yeah, amongst yourselves. This is terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> this is how I do my research for the show. Lauren's like, Hannah, we're going to be discussing this author. And I just go, hey, Siri, Anne Bronte. And then that's all I read. Mm-hmm. But, oh, look. She just looked up. <laughs> Stop it, Siri. So you've done two trips to the parsonage now. Yeah. Um, um, were you doing a lot of, like, sketching and... Yeah, so the first time I kind of just, like, went kind of as a sort of just to check it out and see what it was like, and I took a lot of pictures. And then this time, I sort of realised when I got all my pictures home that they didn't really... I, I didn't really know how the building worked, so I went and I sort mm-hmm. of... This time I sketched every room and, like, did the layout so I knew, like, where everything went so that when I, like, draw them... Because I wanted it to feel more real, which is a big thing for me because usually I, I think my previous... Like, have my setting something in imaginary world I was like well now I don't have to worry about anything no right. I don't have to worry about history I don't have to worry about politics I can do what I like um but I am really enjoying the kind of I guess the having to having to be more the research is I'm really enjoying it very much I think it would be nice for your readers as well because they'll look at it and they'll then go to the house and they'll be like I knew the bed was there because yeah. that's where it was in the book yeah like it's against what, the same wall as well I was like oh oh yeah I've been there um yeah the the same I hope it would have the same effect yeah now actually developing the character designs for the Brontes themselves like what has that been like like what have you been looking towards well initially I started like just by looking at like you know the few like portraits or whatever that are around but I'm also trying to draw them half the book their children so Mm -hmm. I can kind of be a bit more uh, it doesn't matter so much. Yeah. And I also, I sort of think like nobody really knows like too much what they look like. So I think right. I'm not, I'm kind of just trying to, what's harder I think is getting their personalities. So like, right. it's really, really difficult with like Anne, for example, because like she is the youngest. So when they're children, I keep finding that like, I keep just giving her the lines that like the younger sibling would have, like kind of like, wait for me or like, don't leave me out kind of thing. And maybe that's what she was like but I don't want to oversimplify it and also like it's really hard because I really don't like Branwell and so that's (laughs) that's just really hard like because obviously he was a likable charming guy sometimes you know everyone said he had charisma when he was a kid they all thought he was like a little genius but Mm -hmm. I just don't like him do you find yourself cutting Branwell out of scenes no Oh, because I feel like, unfortunately, I think I'm kind of enjoying him, like, being there. But also, I tr- I'm, I'm conscious that I can't make him too much of the villain. Like, I keep wanting to make him the one who does all, like, the worst, most evil colonialist ideas. I'm like, it was definitely Branwell. And I'm like, but, <laughs> like, it obviously wasn't. But I want him to Watch be Watch out. Like, he will haunt you. Yeah, he will haunt he, you. He's too nasty yeah, to him. that's true. He is he, a ghost. He's a ghost and he'll haunt you. He is scary. When I was Only like, if you go to the Black Ball, though. And if you, go, <laughs> no, and if you say Charlotte Bronte in the mirror three times, it's Branwell that appears. <laughs> that is true. When we said that before, we weren't joking. That's a fact. That did, uh, that did, it we did, did say that on the podcast and he did pop up on our Twitter feed, so. Yeah. Maybe that is why Mr. Nichols, like, had to put the portrait on top of the, the wardrobe. Because, like, I've definitely, when I was, like, when I was this kid, I was really scared of, like, um, Treasure Island and I couldn't even look at the spine of the book without being, mm-hmm. like, really freaked out so maybe like he was just like he just couldn't he had to put on top of the wardrobe because he thought Branwell was looking at him or something probably Branwell was looking at him <laughs> Branwell was he splits there. his time 
Between the parsonage and the black ball. That's what that's yeah. how he and Twitter. And sometimes with us. Yeah. Because he kept flicking my pencil out from behind my ear. He said He did. He did. Lauren's just looking at me like, Alice, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> He's quite naughty. Mm. So now Emily. We're gonna talk about Emily when we go up to the parsonage. I love Emily. She's pretty great. Do you have yeah. a, a good Emily chunk in the book? Or are you like kind of doing some Emily research? Like getting her down, it's got to be a bit difficult. Yeah. And it's really hard as well because like so little of the Gondor stuff remains. So right. whereas like there's a really clear picture of like what Gla- clear is in, it's confusing, but there's a lot of what Glastown and Angria were like. The, the Gondor stuff is just really kind of really mysterious. So. Mm-hmm. It's quite, it's difficult. I'm, I'm not actually putting much gondol in because there isn't anything to put in, but I'm trying right. to, I mean, there is stuff to put in, but what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to do is, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I'm finding it very hard. But it's I, hard to get her voice down. I mean, yeah, because yeah, we, we have don't... all these stories about her from other people. But not a lot from, yeah. from her. And also I think like, I think maybe to a certain extent, like you can see a lot of Charlotte in Jane and Lucy Snow, and maybe you can yeah. see a lot of Anne in Agnes Grey, but it's really like hard to know what character in Wuthering Heights she like saw her. Like I, none of them, I don't read any of the characters in Wuthering Heights and think, oh, that's Emily. Right. So there's yeah. not even a kind of prism through which to reflect what you imagine who you imagine she is in a way mm-hmm. um so yeah and particularly because i'm trying to imagine what she would have been like as a child as well for a lot of the book right because she probably wasn't like you know like people tend to become eccentric when they become adults like when they're children people aren't eccentric they're just like cute and quirky mm-hmm. um i don't know i reckon you can have eccentric children yeah maybe but also, I can't like, think, think of any when they were like, "Oh, she's so eccentric." Like they're not like the things that make her eccentric aren't like really eccentric. I mean, like she wore baggy sleeves, like you know. So she didn't. She wasn't a dedicated follower of fashion. Like that's okay. Yeah, she just didn't really seem to think. Like she didn't really care what anyone thought in a time where that was, especially for a especially woman, for very women, like yeah. yeah, really important. Like she kind of was like, "I want to be a housekeeper." I know that's below my station, but I don't really care. Yeah. I I want to wear whatever the hell I want to wear. I will feed my dogs. From the yeah. Table. Yeah. I'm not like really fussed with relationships or people. Like it just. All of all. Well, yeah, it's basically like all a uh, rejection of all of the things of like perceived womanhood of the time. So caring right. about your opinion, uh, your appearance, caring about like what genteel society might think of you being an entertainer being a caregiver and she was just like the practical side of it like I'm gonna manage my house but I'm not too fussed about having people in and like knowing like I'm gonna pour tea for them and exactly yeah yeah you know I'm gonna like nod to everyone I see in the street to keep up appearances like she just wasn't about she wasn't about that she just wanted to be Emily yeah she just kind of wanted to do her own thing yeah which is why she's my favorite a fun I'm enjoying like giving her like kind of sort of yeah like bolshy lines and stuff and and that's quite fun. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely like 
less there's less to go on which in a way is in some ways it's more fun because you can reflect a bit more but then I think in other ways it means people are going to have even more conflicted ideas of what she was really like and like the more biographies I read the more I think on the one hand it's totally okay to come up with how I think they were because that's what everybody does but then right. it also is tricky because so many different people I think see her in so many different ways and yeah it's very hard I mean we're we're definitely struggling with this now but it's like okay we'll just give you our like the bonnet to dawn opinion I guess this yeah. is our view but also like my view um my view on people sh- is shifting because yeah. the, the hard thing to remember is that when we started the show more than a year ago we were people that read the books and liked the adaptations mm-hmm. and like I worked at the Jane Austen Center but I didn't realize how little I knew or how much I was taking for granted was true. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're saying just about like everyone has an opinion. So you read one opinion and you're like, oh, this isn't a book. This is right. And then you read another one and it's the complete opposite. And you're like, yeah. oh, which of these is true? They're, they're yeah. saying different things. Like, what do you go with? And you just have to read like a really broad range of ideas and kind of pick out from what you've read and their letters and like what. And also know. like sometimes just like, you know, bringing it back to because this is a very clear example I think like bringing it back to like when I was doing all the Agatha Christie research Mm -hmm. and we talk about like her disappearance and everyone with her disappearance sort of seems to have an agenda like I read a book by a psychologist who was like oh this was you know a psychological um, break it was psychological break and then there was you know a book by um someone who was quite misogynistic and it was just like this is all like to get back at her husband and this is all you know everyone's like this is all one thing and um, while I was doing research and like talking to some experts and stuff and everyone was like, you know, like sometimes it's just the simplest thing. Like sometimes it was just like, oh, her mother just died. She, she had, had like away. she was overwhelmed yeah. and she just like ran away from her problems. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that actually I was like, yeah, that's what I would do. Like That's what I yeah. relate to as a person, as a woman. And so um, but yeah, it's, it's like hard when you read all these biographies and you're like, everyone has an agenda. And then you're like, what's my agenda? Yeah, but that's like so but it's okay to have an agenda. You just have to read broadly. Yeah. And I think everyone because there's some there's something about them like that you feel like you everyone feels a bit like they know them or they own them or they that the books were so meaningful to yeah. them. And so like yeah, like me and my new friend in Howarth, my new German <laughs> lady friend, like she was carrying the poem close to her heart and I, you know, like she obviously had her own feeling about it and I guess it's kind of like when you have a cat and you give any pet, you give your pet a personality and you're like, oh, he's got so much personality, you know, he's such a jealous cat or, oh, he's, you know, and the cat is not like that. That is what you think of the cat. And so Mm -hmm. you just like reflect on them what you want them to be. And it's kind of really weird. But also I think that's what makes, in a way, going to the parsonage, that's why I think it was so moving in some ways, like seeing all these people in the like just the whole town was filled with people who were just you know moved in the same way or in different ways or it spoke to them in some other way and as amy would say and hannah (laughs) and hannah (laughs) and hannah (laughs) all of those people that were moved and then i was also there and then and then you i was moved yeah you were i will be more moved next time i think you you will upon the death hanky how could you not be moved i saw it 
you want I thought of ways I could monetize it. Yeah, exactly. She was pretty callous about business, it. Like, hey, wait, business, how do we make money off of this debt? And then I looked at Jane Austen's table and I was like, oh, I'm going to cry. I love a table. <laughs> Listen to the clock. <laughs> now, do you have a favorite, like, Bronte anecdote or story that maybe even isn't going in the book, just something that you, like, you really love? Um, I like this. There's one I read where, like, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Ellen Nuss. I think it's Ellen Nussie, like, wants to take Charlotte to the seaside. And, like, Mr. Bronte and um, Aunt Branwell are, like, really, like, flapping about it. And they're just, like, being really annoying. And all these, like, letters are going back and forth. And everyone's just, like, making a big hoo-ha over, like, this ridiculous, like, making it ridiculously hard for, like, Ellen and Charlotte to, like, just go on a little mini break. And then Ellen, Mm. like, basically turns up in a carriage and is like, I'm kidnapping you. And, and... And yeah, I just, I thought that was such a like funny, for some reason I thought that, that sort of touched me because I thought, oh, Ellen must have really, they, you know, they really were like friends and she. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was the, the fourth sister, as yeah, they say. That was very sweet. Yeah, that is really cute. I like that story. Yeah, I like that one. Is that one going in the book? Just curious. I don't think so, actually. It's I mean, a hard one too. Yeah, because it's. It doesn't really have any like particular biographical significance necessarily. Right. I just. You know, it's not like the moment when the toy soldiers appeared or anything. Right, right. There's human about it, I guess. Oh, actually, one of my fa- my favorite Charlotte one is the diary entry when she's like meant to be like she's at school and she's like teaching and she just basically has a erotic fantasy and then the teacher walks in and is like, "Oh, it's a very stormy night tonight." That's that's my favorite. That one's going. <laughs> that one's going in the book. Yeah, a very stormy night. Charlotte yes. and her like little erotic reverie when she's meant to yes. be keeping. <laughs> yeah, I like them. <laughs> and we are back. It's true. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to find out any more information about Isabel or what she's up to, then her website is https colon forward slash forward slash www.isabelgreenberg.co.uk forward slash true story or you can stalk her on twitter at uh, isabel greenberg very easy also on instagram i think oh yeah i think so at isabel greenberg as well yeah i don't know i feel like isabel and my instagrams have some like crossover i have like less published books on mine but we both do lots of historical dressing up in museums so i don't know if you're interested you check it out that seems like content that the bonnets would enjoy honestly there's lots of ruffles i feel like there's lots of ruffles (laughs) it's like ruffles and castles yeah that should be your next um insta handle ruffles and castles like a mills and boone book (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) I'm into it. So now, if you guys would like to meet Isabel or myself or Hannah or Claire O'Callaghan, um, we are going to be at the Parsonage on Wednesday, December 5th. Um, I think we also will be joined by Amy Rowbottom, of course, classic, and uh, Lauren Livesey from the Parsonage as well. We're going to be talking Emily. Surprise, surprise. We're going to like sort of like wrap up 
all of this Emily 200 content that we've been working on for this year and talk about myths and misconceptions. So yeah, that should be a good time. We will have more info on that on our multiple social media sites, pages, if you will. Um, Hannah, if people want to, you know, find us on the social medias, if they want to, you know, stalk us, or if they just want to actually hire us to produce that Pride and Prejudice graphic novel that we talked about in the intro, where where can they find us? I don't think anyone is hiring us after you called them social media pages. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> feel like I mean you've got mail. <laughs> Are we not all using Are AOL online? <laughs> <laughs> guys, my email address is Lauren Burke at AOL.com. What are you talking about? Uh guys, if you want to message uh Shop Girl or uh, <laughs> NY152, is that his name on it? I can't I remember. think so. Good it job. Is. I've watched that film too many times. No, in all seriousness, if you want to find us online, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email Lauren, Bonnets at Dawn at gmail.com, or you can find our Facebook page, so she wasn't all wrong, by searching Bonnets at Dawn and joining the group. Now, I will say about the Facebook group, we are only accepting requests from people who have answered the question. So True story. there is a question on there and it says, do you listen to the podcast? Uh, are you team Austin or team Bronte? We're trying to keep it so that it's mainly show listeners. And so if you don't answer the question, we're going to assume that you're a bot or like an alt-right Austin spy. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to let you in basically. Maybe we've and had one or two of those guys. And it's not been accepted. That could be why. Yeah, just answer the questions. We want to make sure you're not a bot or crazy. All right. (laughs) Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you guys for listening. Aggressive. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.